You see? They toast me. I've become patron saint of the socially inept. Can they really be so foolish? Men like that, they, they should be scratching at my door, begging to learn my secrets, for I, René Gallimard, you see, I have known and been loved by the perfect woman. Alone in the cell I sit night after night, watching our story play through my head, always searching for a new ending, one which redeems my honor, where she returns at last to my arms. And I imagine you, my ideal audience, who come to understand, and even perhaps just a little, to envy me. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. Hi, friends. Hello. It's my bit. It's my bit. Scat leg it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every episode sounds exactly the same right at the beginning, and then we just got to get through it. We got to push. We need new bits. Well, we need new bits. New bits time. for season three. Send new them bits in. for season yeah. three. We're almost at the end of season two. Isn't that crazy? Holy shit! This is our last mini series of season two. Wow, that's right. We made it. And <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we were. We began this in pandemic. Mm-hmm. As a way to sort of uh, curb the insanity that we yes. were uh, experiencing, but we just created more insanity, and it and did. Here we it, are. it created way more. Still in and pandemic. Here we are, and we added the bonus episodes this season. We added the stingers this season. We'll get into that later. But there's something I actually want to ask y'all about real quick, and uh-huh. uh, Keila, get in on this. So I want to know uh, your feelings on the casting of. I brought this up in the last miniseries, so I gotta I gotta follow through. Uh, Beanie Feldstein is playing Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. Do you have any feelings on this? Do you even care? What are your feelings? Go. Discuss. I've heard her sing, and while she is no, you know, Barbara Streisand or, you know, anyone who's replaced her since the original, I think she's certainly a a young new talent who's already proven herself to be a comedic genius in hello dolly and i mm-hmm. think it's could be very exciting yeah i i mean i think a lot of people were uh expecting leah michelle to take uh on this role mm. in the revival uh and i that obviously isn't happening so but yeah. that's i from what i've heard that's leah michelle maybe it fault. should be a li- <laughs> yeah maybe it should be leah michelle as fanny bryce and ben platt as nikki arnstein <laughs> yes <laughs> everyone will see it well, Ben Platt and uh, Beanie are are very tight. They went to college together. Oh, really? Oh. Where did they go? Do you know? They're buddy buddy. I'm I'm not sure. I'm sure it was a place that had a lot of theater going on. Oh yeah. Um, Cash. I, <laughs> um, I will say, uh, Dear Evan Hansen, the movie. Right. Speaking of Ben Platt, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not gonna speak to it. Cause we should we... go together. I'd love to. You see haven't it with seen y'all. it. I haven't seen it yet. I think we should all go see it, uh, and we will then discuss it on the Curtain Call finale episode, because I 
I know I'm going to have feelings, but I will say what intrigues me most about this, and I don't care at all about Rotten Tomatoes, but I will say <laughs> 33% critic score, 91% audience score. What? That is intriguing to me. It's got quite a fan base, right? I yes, mean, it does. people are obsessed with that musical, especially young people. Right. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I don't quite get it. but i'm not i i listen i've only i've only heard the cast recording i and but i don't after greatest showman i don't i don't care or trust them as singer songwriters (laughs) you mean that is the definitive um biopic on that's all we have (laughs) keila i have very there's one or two pure rage moments I've had on this podcast and my reaction to that was one of them just like I just can't and like every, I like every if you break down all of the elements I like I like I like Hugh I like the whole cast it's it's visually pretty I just couldn't there's something about that music that just I don't I told that made me question Hugh Jackman all around. Like, I don't know that I trust him anymore. I agree. And then if the opera singer isn't going to be singing legit opera, that that's a huge issue I have. But but speaking of opera, Ooh, yeah. I Adam Butterfly, Puccini. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was trying to segue. It didn't really work out. Because um, I don't think <laughs> my segues have been on point this season, but that one was wrong. Um, <laughs> But I will say, welcome to theater, theater, for the last time in season two. The theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwright. The evolutions of the great playwrights. <laughs> Double it. Triple it. Uh, keep it. The uh, evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part one of our mini series covering the works of David Henry Huang. That's right. It's M. Potterfly. Genius. <laughs> we'll be discussing M. Butterfly, Golden Child, and Yellow Face. And this week, we are beyond honored to be joined by a dear friend of mine. He's an actor of stage and screen with an MFA in acting from Columbia University. No big deal. You Ooh. may have seen him in his recurring, recurring roles on Hawaii Five O and Grey's Anatomy, as well as his countless credits on pretty much any show you can think of, including NCIS Hawaii, which aired this year, right? Correct. Right. And the hit show, This Is Us. Ooh. Go look at his IMDb to know more because it's just insane. Or go listen to our artist spotlight, which we did with him earlier. Uh, But we only really got to scratch the surface of his career. So we're going to have him back even after this. But he's an amazing teacher and colleague, a brilliantly lovely human, and a huge musical theater nerd like me. That was the longest and, intro anyone's ever had. It's Kila Packet. And half, yeah. half yellow. Wow. My mother is of Hawaiian, Chinese, and English descent. So wow. I'm happy to be here discussing our playwright. Right glad, glad to hear it. Glad to have you. And I will say, like, you know, Kila, we wanted to have you on for a more musical-based thing. Even though, you know, David Henry Huang obviously has written There's musicals. time. But next season, we're going to let you choose whatever you want. There's R&H, 
which I definitely want to have you on. I would like to revisit Sondheim at some point because our episodes on Sondheim are kind of old, shaky and old because we're in <laughs> it's in More, season 1 and we're in they're pretty quick. a black box quick. and it sounds kind of um yeah, like we, were still, we were we were still learning. Yeah, so I might we might re- revisit Sondheim. Um, but Keila, you uh, recently were on another podcast, uh, a musical theater podcast, is what it's called. That's actually the name, a musical theater podcast, podcast. with Jeffrey Parsons, right? Mm-hmm. And you did the Assassins episode, and I absolutely loved it. And then it, it's a phenomenal episode. Everyone go check it out. It's really, really good. And it actually even sort of made me rethink some things about assassins I hadn't really thought about. I had some deep opinions on that uh, that have, you know, tweaked a little bit because of that. And then he got me hooked up with Jeff, and I got to do an episode of a musical theater podcast. I recorded it. It's coming out, oh, cool. I think, in a few weeks. Oh, um, good. But we got to cover the Boy George musical produced by Rosie O'Donnell on Broadway called Taboo. It's one of my new favorite things on this planet, and I can't wait for uh, everyone to check it out and nice. uh, for me to share it with you. Yeah, Good. it's phenomenal. Anyway, I'm that's not why we're here. turning back on this life <laughs> as long as I can. <laughs> great, great song. It made you and Morton a star. Karma, 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 Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, okay, so anyway, that's not why we're here. We're here for other reasons. Now, David Henry. Oh, I will make this a yeah. musical episode. We can. <laughs> we can. There is, there, is a Rogers, there is a Rogers and Hammerstein musical. Connection. That David, that's right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, so what is that? It? It's flower well, drum song, right? Flower drum song, right? So I've um, the plays that we're discussing today. I've not actually seen in person. I have read them, but I have seen Aida on Broadway, mm. which oh, yeah. uh, David did some of the book for. Oh. I've seen Flower Drum Song, the revival in two thousand two, wow. starring a friend of mine, Jose Lana, actually, and of course Leia Salonga, Tony Award winner, who I saw as Eponine in Les Mis. Oh. <clears throat> Uh, I saw Tarzan, the Disney theatricals production of Tarzan, and I saw Soft Power in 2018 here in Los Angeles at the Amundsen Theater. That's amazing. And co-choreographed by a friend of mine, Sam Pinkleton, who is also choreographing Head Over Heels at Pasadena Playhouse, which is coming up. Ah, coming up soon. This is true. I can't wait to see it. So we're kind of kind of put it poopers on flop flockum poopums. All right, You're doing great, buddy. You're doing great. Okay. <laughs> it all out. I've had a y'all. I actually will say I have had a freaking week reopening this theater. <laughs> I'm not gonna say much, but reopening this 100 year old theater with trying to reinstate. It doesn't matter. Okay. So <laughs> much. I don't want to get it into out. it. Work it out. <laughs> but my my brain is mush, so I'm gonna do my best today. But um, you might be we getting got you. mush mouth. So I'll let y'all do more talking. But I will say we are connoisseurs of context. Keila, we've had a little bit of your context here now. You you just gave it to us, but I want to hear everybody's. Uh, Scott, CJ, how do you know DHH? Do you know him at all? I will be honest. I. Besides in Butterfly, did not know really much about him at all. So this was all very new to me. Um, same. I um, uh, M Butterfly was came out and and blew up right as I was getting into things as as a teen. Um, so I was very aware of it. Um, I, uh, I saw the movie, uh, and then I've seen two 
okay productions of it over the years, um, you know, admirable productions. Um, and then it's funny, but reading Golden Child, I had seen Golden Child and didn't realize it until about a third of the way through reading the play going, oh. man, <laughs> this seems really familiar to me. <laughs> and I had seen it uh, up in Northern California in the early 2000s uh, by like a medium-sized company that I can't remember. And I don't remember much about it other than I had seen it. But beyond that and knowing sort of uh, him as an activist and, uh, you know, an advocate for AAPI uh, folks, I, I I didn't know a lot. So it was a real pleasure discovering him. Like, like wow, this is great. Like, the plays themselves, but also uh, him as a person, just watching some of the interviews and documentaries with him. Uh, that you can find on YouTube um, really turned me on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm a fan. Do you subscribe to the on. DHH OnlyFans? The DHH OnlyFans? I should absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Uh, Siege. Uh, me and DHH don't know each other terribly well. Like most of you, I was I read M Butterfly a while ago, and weird little connect. Um, I handled his ovation award and put the nameplate on it for when he won best book for soft power a couple years ago nice because i was working at lassa at the time (laughs) so like they won a like soft power was nominated for almost everything and won almost everything that night so i handed people's trophies to them (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing yeah, I didn't. I didn't know much about him. I I knew M Butterfly because I had to read it in college. I'm pretty sure, and then I uh, didn't think much of it. But I remember like getting it and liking it, but not fully because it was for uh, school. I think I just didn't take it as seriously. Uh, but yeah, rereading it was super fun. Um, I did know about Soft Power when it was going on, though. We should we should just talk about Soft Power real quick because I it, we'll talk about it in, in terms of his evolution as well. But it was up for the 2020. Pulitzer uh so that's like worth kind of mentioning now um it's a musical by David and then the music is by Janine Tesori who we have talked about because she did Carolina Change Mm -hmm. with Kushner go back to the Kushner episode and check it out Violet's one of my favorite uh musicals of all time and what else did she do Thoroughly Modern Millie. Well, okay, Thoroughly Modern Millie. What else did she do? <laughs> oh, I don't shit. know. Shrek, it's fine. Shrek the musical. Uh, oh, Shrek. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, uh, she also did uh, Fun Home. Oh, she did Fun she Home. She did do Fun Home. She oh, did duh. Home, which, which is I like a loved. Of, yeah. Yeah, and she she's involved with a lot of these like plays with music, which is also sort of how soft power feels and... Uh, things like that. Well, they but... call it. They say they say it's a play with a musical. A play, a mm. play musical. with a musical. Right. <laughs> All right, well. good quote. And uh, <laughs> it gets a lot. Eleven Drama Desk Awards. Excuse me. Fuck. No, it doesn't. It gets eleven Drama Desk nominations, the most of the year, and doesn't win any of them. What? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like slave, uh, and... like slave play at the Tonys. Not, right. Not, not to yes, open up exactly. that, those wounds, but. Well, we can get. We could get it. I guess we could talk about the Tony. I did watch the Tonys. Um, right, the Tonys happened. I forgot not about even a that. week ago. We're supposed to comment on that kind of stuff, I guess. Uh. I did not watch the Tonys on purpose because of the complexity and the West Coast bias or the East Coast bias that was thrown. Like it was, 
that you had to get peacock and that you had to like like tune in at three o'clock and you had to have an antenna on your head and the part of it was going to be on this platform and part on another platform i just thought it was all horse shit i was like i'm done i'll watch the you know winners if there's any clips i'll watch those later mm-hmm. you know because i'm sure that there was some great performance stuff but i was like come on y'all like but it's well, the you best, know the- that's the performance of, of the night was Jennifer Holiday. Yeah, that was. Her, oh, uh, and I'm telling yeah, you. Read about that. Um, and then the next like four speeches after that were like, I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> 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 they like couldn't speak because they were like, I don't know, Jennifer. What do we do? Like it was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a great night of awards though that were given. You know, Moulin Rouge really swept and uh Aaron Tveit wins his first Tony and uh, the only person nominated the for the only person nominated for him in that category. Um mm-hmm. I already had Peacock and I didn't actually know what was going on until uh someone said, Hey, you watching the Tonys? And I went, Oh shit, right, that's on and I turned it on. <laughs> um and missed the whole opening number and stuff. But Audra did, did you a watch- good job. Did you watch the Broadway's back celebration after the Tonys on CBS? Um, I didn't, but I uh, heard because that's about when they it. did the actual numbers from the musicals. Right, right. That was the big one. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't watch it. Was that fun? Was that good? It was fun, but it was kind of empty at the same time. If that makes mm. sense. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it was great. It just seemed kind of like a bit rushed and a bit, um, you know, just kind of bland. I mean, they had at the end, uh, towards the end of the program, they had some famous duets. So they had Adam Pascal and Roger, mm-hmm. um, uh, Adam Pascal as Roger and Anthony Rapp from Rent. Uh, oh, that's right. I did read about <gasps> the duet. Yeah. They had Idina Menzel and Kristen do a, a scene from Wicked and they were like working some shit out. They were both in tears. And then they had Audra McDonald and Brian Stokes. Brian Stokes, yeah. So um, you know, it it seemed very performative. It didn't it didn't seem um, soulful to me, but you know, I have big expect expectations uh, with those names, and uh, it just it it just seemed like they they just could have waited. Yeah, you know, right, right, right. They didn't have to push it. And That's hey, what... you know, Aladdin's got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, right. Oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fucking COVID. But, but it's very exciting to see. It's still exciting to have. Yeah, Lenny. <laughs> we should just do. Did you do a rent ep- episode yet? No, I'm making them. Actually, here's the thing. I'm. We're beginning. <laughs> I'm. I'm dipping their toes into it by making them watch Rent Live, the really bad Rent Live. Where they actually had to air the uh, dress rehearsal because someone got hurt. I'm going to make them watch that first as an end stuff. And then I'm going to make them do a full Jonathan Larson miniseries. Mm. It's going to be awesome. Oh, Jonathan Larson, right. We'll get there. Tick, tick, boom is coming out. I'm really looking forward to that. I know I am too. That's going to be really Um, fun. Can't. I got in trouble for Rent Live because I tweeted something. I tweeted something about uh, one of the one of the cast members, but I had to delete that tweet and we can talk about that <laughs> off camera. <laughs> Turn off the cameras. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we'll get back to the, to the, the, the main man here, uh, DHH, DHH. Uh, but mm-hmm. Scott, you might be able to tell us some more about him because uh, we have a little segment called Scottpedia. 
Yes, uh, Scottpedia David Henry Huang was born August 11th, 1957 in Los Angeles, California. What, what, what? Yes, that's right. Uh, to his parents, uh, Henry Yuan Huang, the founder of the Far East National Bank, and Dorothy Huang, a piano teacher. Uh, he is the oldest of three children. He has two younger sisters. Uh, he received a bachelor's degree in English from Stanford University in 1979 and attended the Yale School of Drama between 1980 and 1981, uh, taking various classes, uh, but he left once workshopping on his new play began, and uh, since he already had a play being produced in New York, why pay for Yale, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, his, first <laughs> his first play was produced in the Okada House Dormitory of Stanford University uh, after he briefly studied playwriting with Sam Shepard. Hey. And Maria Irene Fornes. I know those like, two people. Yeah, All like, right. uh, yeah, if you're going to learn, those are two people to learn from. Uh, he lives in New York City with his wife, actress Catherine Lang, and their children, Noah David and Eva Vianne. V-E-A-N-N-E. -N -N -E. I think that's a lovely name. Check this out. This is the craziest thing that I learned about him, though. In Tell November, me. In November of 2015... Wong was the victim of a stabbing near his home in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. The yeah, check this out. The assailant stabbed Wong in the neck, <gasps> severing his vertebral vert vertebral artery uh, before running from the scene. Wong was seriously injured and underwent surgery before discharge from the hospital. Uh, the attack appeared to be random as nothing was taken. Uh, the assailant was never found. Huang wrote about the experience in the New York Times. And then the stabbing also uh, par uh, inspired part of the semi-autobiographical uh, semi portion of Soft Power, uh, in which the lead character, Whoa. also named David Henry Huang, is the victim of a random stabbing. Um, he has written for TV, film opera, musical theater, uh, newspapers, magazines, and he has basically every grant or fellowship you can name. He's got it. Never mind the OBs and the Tonys and the Pulitzer Prize finalists and all that stuff. Sure. Um, but that's what I had for him. I, I it, There wasn't a lot of uh, detail. He just sort of works, and he has this sort of amazing attitude. Uh, in one of the um, little documentary interview things that I watched, he's like, I never regret anything i've done that day in other words he's he tries to get something out of everything and he has a part of him that sort of um looks not not looks for failure but uh accepts failure um as as a learning lesson and he's not afraid of it um and i found just him to be inspiring he's such an interesting person just to listen to and to, to watch speak and uh, but that's the the big uh the big points there for dhh hey we love a scottopedia moment thank you thanks. <laughs> very informative thanks now we know everything now you know as much as uh, as you need to um so the first thing that we were going to talk about is the we we try to span the whole career right so we chose one from each decade and we figured since M. Butterfly is sort of the first one that really gets him on the map in a way that is uh, a big spotlight. I think uh, it's a good place to start. So why don't we start with M. Butterfly? And uh, what a better way to start, but with a fucking CJ breakdown. <gasps> CJ's Breakdown. Renee Gallimard. 
A French diplomat posted in China is brought to ruin and eventually convicted for espionage after a 20-year affair with the Beijing opera diva. The diva, citing her Chinese modesty, manages to never appear naked in front of Gallimard. Why is this important? Stick around to find out. <laughs> yeah, it's based on a true story. Like, Which that diplomat the... is still alive. He's still alive. Yeah. 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 No, I, I will say, I mean, it's based on a true story, but he read the article and it was, you know, it's pre-Google. He didn't, he didn't, he couldn't really research it. So he made up everything. Yeah. It ended up being, uh, you know, pretty true and to the point, but like for the most part, he's, you know, this is fictionalized. He's, he's creating it. But in Butterfly 1988. Yeah. Hell of a year. Good year for wine, that. It is. <laughs> um... It, is it really? I mean, are you just saying no, I, that? Or I'm you... making that up completely. The CJ um, seemed pretty emphatic year, about it. Like, no, no really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, year after, the year after Into the Woods. Grapes were really the year good year. after yeah. Into the Woods. Um, yeah. And, you know, in 1989, it gets up for the, it goes up for the Pulitzer. Uh, and I, I did have to look this up, but uh, I was interested in what actually won the Pulitzer that year. Yeah. And do you want to know what was up for it? Yeah. What? Yeah. What were the In finals? Butterfly. The Piano Lesson by August Wilson. Oh, wow. And The Heidi Chronicles by Wendy Wasserstein. Wow. Oh, my God. Now, wow. which one wins? The Piano Lesson. Right? Nope. Oh, Heidi was it the Heidi Chronicles one? Really? That was a Wendy huge Watson hit. That was a big deal. People that is a slice it. from college for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and who do you think would have chosen the Pulitzer Prize that year? Uh, were they an audience of mixed race or? Oh, 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 no. oh no! Oh no! I, wonder, I doubt that there were. I doubt there were any women in there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, no, we love Wendy. We love Wendy. We, she was, yeah. Was no, and it's a great play. I mean, you know, yeah. We should absolutely. probably cover. They haven't Wendy at some stood point. up as well as these have. I feel like as M Butterfly no. or and the piano lesson. But wait, so August won two. He won for Fences, and what was his other win? Now I can't remember. Uh, he, I thought it, I had it. The piano lesson in my head was Jim. it Ma Rainey? It might be Ma Rainey. Maybe it's Jim of the Ocean. Mm. No, Jim was, was way later. Was like Look that. it up. Look it up. There's like um, one, one right on top of. We another. got we got phones and computers and all this junk. iPads. What? Um, you know, <laughs> so this opens up. Uh, on Broadway with John Lithgow, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite actors, and B.D. Wong, mm-hmm. one of my other favorite actors, who uh, is a you know old alum and st- actually still works a lot with East West Players and has directed at the Pasadena Playhouse. Uh, did the Great Leap, directed the Great Leap for us a few years ago, um, and is also in Mr. Robot and is phenomenal in that show. Uh, other people that played, is it? How would you say it, Keela? How would you say his name? Um, you know wait, German though. It? You don't know French. Galliard. 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 You wouldn't really pronounce D. You wouldn't pronounce the D. Galliard. Also, no. Uh, other people that played him were uh, David Dukes. Mm-hmm. Anthony. As in the Hopkins. leader of the KKK. Yep. No. Dukes. <laughs> Dukes. Um, right. Anthony Hopkins, Tony Randall, John Rubenstein, and uh, that's just the original run. And and Jeremy Irons. 
who is well, far too handsome to play him. Oh man, his CG and I were just talking about that. Like that was one of the worst casting decisions <laughs> ever. Well, it's interesting because it's so it's David Cronenberg, right? Uh, who also does things like The Fly and oh, uh, Existens and which, Naked Lunch. DHH, DHH wrote the libretto for the opera version of The Fly. No way. Yeah. God damn. That's so he crazy. Must, they must have been tight because he also wrote the screenplay for it. That's insane. Um, I know Naked Lunch really well and like Videodrome and things like this, but... There's this movie called Dead Ringers that's with Jeremy in, Irons. Yeah. That's in '88 with Jeremy Irons, and I guess uh, Cronenberg wanted to use Irons. I get it. I'm not a huge Jeremy Irons fan. I just kept him. hearing Scar the whole time. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> when I was I, watching the movie, I just always think of the uh, the '97 like Lolita and all the clips of like Jeremy mm-hmm. Irons talking about yeah. how it's a romance and sh- and I was just like, fuck you. And so it's like it's kind of hard for me to uh, love him, but I get it. People like him. But the movie is so interesting and so different because it ends up being like not only is Song sort of the ultimate antagonist and villain in the movie, but in my opinion, by the end of it, but also like for Irons being someone who I think could play romance really well, it doesn't have a lot of the romance that I feel like exists in the play. Here, here. Hmm. Would you agree with that? I absolutely feel the exact same way. I was actually quite surprised at how much romance and just, you know, raunchy, um, you know, sexual content in the play. Right. I mean, it's not between the female character as well. I was like, whoa, this is pretty racy. Right. And it's it, it, it ends up being sort of it's kind of I don't know. This play is kind of beautiful, right? Like Mm -hmm. the. They're both really in love with romance, both characters, mm-hmm. right? right. They're both in love with opera. They're both in love, I mean, which is in itself very romantic. And even sure. though Song may understand the bullshit that is the problem with Puccini's Madame Butterfly, and that ends up being, you know, one of their first sort of... Uh, major moments in the play is is saying like well that's all just like westernized fetishism basically and even though song sees that songs i i I don't know what pronouns to use for song if you want the truth so i'm gonna use they because i don't even know how if you ask song i think that could have it them yeah anyway I well, I well, I just wanted to pitch in there that um, I L.A. Theater Works, and I know y'all aren't always as into it. They had Lithgow and um, B.D. Wong playing the lead characters on that reading, and Margaret and then, Cho. Oh yeah, I I only saw I just saw those first two top build names, and then um, I and then I went and watched the movie, and I thought between the two of them, I thought it was a completely different representation of song. And I thought both of them completely worked. I also felt like the play, well, the reading of it, had a lot more comedy and light moments to it. And I felt like the movie was was serious and sad the whole time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a drama the whole time. And and I, I and then when I saw that Huang did the screenplay too, I was like, it was it almost felt like he was like giving himself an opportunity to tell the story two different ways. Well, so that's a big thing that's with a Huang. Good observation. Yeah, I agree, because that's a big thing with him is that he, like, when they did the revival, when Julie Taymor directed the the revival, um, he was like, well, I don't, 
I think this story's already been told. Why would we do this again? And it's the same with the movie where he was like, well, I've already told this. What if I told a different sort of version of this and did that? And then also Cronenberg's sensibilities are, it, though he does camp very well and like, you know, things like that very well, he was actually taking it very seriously. And I think mm -hmm. maybe too much so. Uh, he's trying to be an auteur, you know, um, and it doesn't fully work. But uh, then when they do it on Broadway years later with Julie Taymor, he basically fully rewrites the thing. Um, there were it, some added scenes, right? Yeah. So, well, so it's Clive Owen uh, mm -hmm. is the and um, again, too, too. He's too handsome. He's too sexy. Yeah. It misses <laughs> the point. No, too you know? sexy. Well, it's like I think w there's a lot of great quotes in here, but one of my favorite is is that the sad truth is that all men want a beautiful woman, and the uglier the man, the greater the want. And I felt <laughs> like that. That's it's such an important thing for him. Because he yeah. thinks he's, you know, he thinks he's got a big dick, you know, halfway through <laughs> the play because he's got the affair going with the 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 woman, the Renee. You know, he's got he's married and mm -hmm. he's got the whole relationship going on with song. Right. And so he's, you know, there's so much great commentary on toxic masculinity and just masculinity in general in the in in the play right that anyway i'm sorry to, i was sorry to interrupt but like no no, no it's just yeah we're, we're pretty much hitting it all we've got sexism racism imperialism yeah. all, all wrapped of it. into one right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and so you have clive owen and jin ha and the big change that they make that is david's uh big change in all of this is that he goes to her and he says i don't think I mean, most audiences already know the twist, first of all, that the quote unquote twist that mm. it's a woman. Right. And and a spy. Um, and that that song is a woman and a spy. And he was sort of like that story's been told. Also, the crying game did it two years later. Right. right. The mm. crying game does it in 1990 or whatever, which does, pulls the same thing where the whole time you think a character is a woman and they, at the end they're a man. But it's it's sort of like, well, how do they present all those kind of things without those things weren't being talked about? We won't get into also it. Also a Boy George song. Right. Also a Boy George song. <laughs> yeah, that's a true. great Boy also George song. Yeah. I like I love that song. Uh, but he, you know, this one ends up, I think, you know, there's a lot of scene changes in the original, but this one has 37 scene changes. So he made it very cinematic and just mm -hmm. like, because he knew it was Tamor and that she could just like go nuts. Um, and she did, she, you know, went fucking ham on the whole thing. Um, and the, the whole, the big twist that they change is that right at the beginning, the first time they meet song is presenting as a man right mm -hmm. away. And says, I'm a man. I'm going to go play this role. This is what's going to happen. And then leaves and then comes back as the woman. And he still falls in love and falls into this belief that it is a woman. Mm -hmm. Even though he's already been told that it's not. Right? Mm. So it yeah, adds yeah, yeah, this yeah. whole other layer to it. And I think that's really fucking interesting. Because um, ultimately yeah, because... the gender of song doesn't matter. That's not the theme right. of this play. Right? Right. Discuss. The theme is kind of like, um, you know, it's like what actually is love. Love is some, you know, what is it? What, what we call love is sometimes nothing more than two people's misreading of each other. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Right? Wow. Yeah. So, and, and also that, you know, was, you know, if, if there had really been a 20 year liaison between this man and this other man who was in disguise, was it really 
consensual, you know, was it really something that Gall that, you know, Gallimard, the French diplomat, that he just kind of submitted to knowing that it was a man and, you know, dealing with his own, um, you know, kind of maybe closeted homosexual, mm -hmm. you know, um, um, Juan... impulses, or does it even, you know, does it matter because, you know, like the whole, the whole kind of like queer gender, non-binary um, mm -hmm. uh, conversation is being had now, but 30 years ago, it was like, wait a minute, what is going on? Right. Right. We didn't even really have the right vocabulary to talk about it yet. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Huang said, um, the, quote, the lines between gay and straight become very blurred in this play, but I think he knows he's having an affair with a man. Therefore, on some level, he is gay. Um, right. Which was a quote that right around right as the play is coming out. So that's 88, 89. No pun intended. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and in 1988, a lot of these themes hadn't really been brought to Broadway. And we should mention, no. he's the, I mean, I think you said this, Scott, but he's the first Asian American playwright on Broadway. Mm. Period. Yes. 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 Period. Period. This is a huge and, deal. And first, first, not the first Asian American to win a Tony because uh, Ming Cho right. Lee won a right. Tony a few years before that. Right. But as a playwright, yes. And B.D. Wong was the first to win the Tony, the Drama Defs, the Outer Critics, and the Theater World Award. And I believe is the only actor in history that has all of those awards. And played for the Disney same role. Prince. For the, the same, same role. role. Right. Yeah. And played wow. at Disney Print. <laughs> and played it, yeah. <laughs> and was in. Um, uh what's the he remember he played the wedding planner with martin short in father of the bride yeah, oh, yeah absolutely yes he did <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> pops up all the time is that right yeah. is that yeah. him yeah yeah martin i love short it bd wong they're oh home shit yeah 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 it is and bd wong was also um uh in a relationship with an agent at the time at paradigm uh, richie i can't remember but they had a child together oh uh, using uh, BD's sperm and the egg of the his partner's sister, mm. oh, wow. a baby, you know, and then now that man is now married to Jordan Roth, who is president of the Jude Jamson Theaters. Wow, uh, very powerful, powerful couple now. So wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag hashtag theater royalty. royalty. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag, hashtag dynasty. Theater. Okay, well, wow, crap. Okay, very cool. Um, other thoughts on. In Butterfly, we got two whole other plays to cover. What, do you, what are your other macro thoughts? One line that made it in the script, that was in the reading, that also made it in the movie, that I fucking loved was only a man knows how a woman is supposed to act. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite lines in the play. I loved it. <laughs> um, also, a bad makeup is not unique to the West. Yes, <laughs> yes, I loved that. I loved that. That was um, in both as well. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I have that down as one of my quotes too. I also think um, so much the, of the play is about identity and survival, especially as history goes on. You, you know, I think that what uh, DHH does really well throughout all three of these plays that we read is that he assumes that the audience knows a, a, a lot or at least enough to get through. So as you start the play in 1960, as when they first meet, so by the time we get to those middle 60s when would I think it's a four year period where he's where songs in prison and work camp. Mm -hmm. um, and so the difference in what they each have to do to survive 
um, becomes really interesting because Gallimard is not really needing that. Like he ha he has so much power because of his position and where he's at and being a white white man in in a Westerner in China at that time. And songs reduced to to trying to figure out how to survive. Like so, I thought that that was great because at the end. And you, I think you brought it up, Bailey. the The idea that that he and the film does it, making making him more antagonistic, making him you know more of a bad guy kind of figure. Sure. Um, and I think that she's just trying to survive with all that she, the tools that she has, uh, using her right. acting, using uh, um, the ability to hide, disguise yeah. as, as both genders. Um, I was really sympathetic to, to her. Like, Gallimard, you're like, oh, okay, dude, at the end of the day, you broke the law and you still sold out your country. Like, like I, I get it. Like, I get that you were in love and, and you did it all for love or what you perceive to be love. Um, because Also, there's, there's a wife involved here, too. And there's a wife also involved, yeah. Cheated on your wife doubly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like... Um, well, then it's it's he's got that Gallimard's got the 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 that quote, uh, get away from me tonight. I finally learned to tell fantasy from reality and knowing the difference. I choose fantasy, mm. um, which is, you know, it was just a fascinating thing. Yeah, it's a, a it's a reversal of fortune, isn't it? Not right. to quote from a Jeremy Irons <laughs> film, <laughs> Academy Award. Uh, but there's a lot of kind of reversal themes in David Wong's work here. You know, if we go with the Madame Butterfly metaphor where there's Cho Cho San and Pinkerton and, you know, Pinker Pinkerton gets the upper hand and M Butterfly, it's kind of reversed. The one that we would think was going to be Pinkerton ends up becoming the submissive Chochosan at the end by becoming mm. Butterfly. And also, you know, with, um, I think we'll talk about, you know, in Soft Power, you know, that's kind of a reversal because Soft Power talks about uh, the idea, the history of America, but it's seen through a Chinese lens mm. and, mm. Uh, and they're trying to convince the Americans that, you know, actually democracy doesn't work as well as you think it does. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we have this thing in China called, you know, communism, and maybe you should think about that. You know, you have a <laughs> golden child, you've got, you know, the, the three wives and, um, kind of like what we would think that the Western, the Western culture would come and do damage to the Chinese culture, but really in Golden Child, it's the reverse, you know, the, the protagonist there is, is really, uh, you know, being um, allured by Christianity and Western customs. I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, so there are a lot of reversal kind of things in his, uh, in his, in his work. So, and Butterfly and his, actually, so he said his first wife, Ophelia, they were trying to think of a title and and they came up with Mr. Butterfly, and she said, why don't you just call it M. Butterfly? Mm -hmm. oh. It's cool. It's cool. I like that. it. Yeah. And I also, uh, there was an article that just came out last week uh, as I was starting to work for the podcast going, "Should is it time to put away Madam Butterfly? Is it time to stop doing it? Like... Which is a whole interesting question, you know, about the Puccini thing. But I love how he uses the Puccini and to great effect dramatically as a storytelling device, but then gets some nice solid digs and swipes at it, too, as 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 the play goes on. Um, uh, and I, I wonder where he stands. I would love to 
talk to Mr. Wong and see where he stands right now with Madam Butterfly as something that maybe doesn't need to be performed so much anymore. I don't know. Thoughts? I'm sure he has. Thoughts. <laughs> uh, I, I've only met him once, but I can maybe get his email. and. Uh... Yeah. Let, let's, <laughs> I, I would just, I, I mean, that would be a great, we should invite him and just go, let's go have a beer. And like, yeah, why not? We'll go to the plunge and like, let's just have like, him on the podcast. Let's, <laughs> let's do an artist spotlight. <laughs> seems How so did you cool. meet him again, Keela? We met at the Drama Desk Awards in 2012 because we were both fellow nominees for Outstanding Play, his play, Chinglish, and a play that I co-wrote called Unnatural Act. So I met him at the after party, and he was teaching cool. at Columbia at the time, which is my alma mater, and I was like, hey, I went there, and he was like, oh my god, we should totally we should totally hang out, and then I had to fly to L.A. the next day. No. Oh. <laughs> so that's that. But, it's a great um, story. <laughs> but yeah, so it was great that we were fellow nominees because... Here's this like genius, and you know I'm like a young. And then this you know, other genius named Q. Guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I was young. I was I was straight out of straight out of grad school. You know, with a, a dance belt and a tube of chapstick to my name. Right. And, uh, <laughs> fresh off a destroyer. <laughs> That's uh, waiting for Guffman for those of you who are listening. Yeah. And um, so yeah, so uh, you know I'm sure our, our paths will cross because we have a lot of of mutual friends that's cool um so after m butterfly he writes a play called bondage he writes face value which we will be probably discussing further later because it relates to something he writes later yeah i think we should also mention that his 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 first play fob uh, he wrote in college he staged it in his dorm and then sent it to the o'neill center had it staged with professional actors and then they brought that to the public theater and that was his very first professional play wow. that he had written in college and, and from it won that, the obi and it won yeah, the obi, obi and, and things just started spiraling after that yeah. yeah but then he writes so after face value trying to find chinatown and then bangkok and then so we're in the 90s now in fact we're in 1998 he writes golden child mm -hmm. this is one that we uh, are going to be discussing today and, and it's again, not the Eddie Murphy movie. It, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that's the golden child. My apologies. Right. My apologies. <laughs> Get it right, I'm, Scott. I'm sorry. Not a great film. Oh, no, no. That was the beginning of sort of the end of that golden period for Eddie. Like, Eddie had, had not had a miss at that point. That well, was he had had the 80s. Movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he had had the, the Beverly Hills Cops and things like this, and then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, this is kind of the wall he hit, huh? Yeah. Not a good movie. Anyway, not that. No. Um, <laughs> Golden Child, the play, uh, it was produced off-Broadway in 1996, but then 1998 goes to Broadway. Uh, CJ? Directed yes. by? Hold on. CJ? You yes. Wanna, you want to break it down? Sure. CJ's breakdown. In a feudal Chinese village, Tiang Bin returns from three years abroad, waiting for him are his three wives and his favorite child, 10-year-old An, the golden child. Tiang Bin is drawn to the possibilities of the modern world, including Christianity, and invites an English missionary to his home. Faced with the prospect of losing their traditional and ancestral practices, the three wives try to negotiate how to be in the modern world. 
This is correct. And yes, as you were saying, Keila, uh, it was directed by the one and only, the incredible book writer of End of the Frickin' no Wood. No one here <laughs> to guide you. <laughs> James Lapine, or Lapine. I always Lapine. say Lapine. I know it's Lapine. Oh, and does everybody have this book? I Putting it together. together. Oh. Putting it together. How Stephen Sondheim and I created Sunday in the Park with George. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Sunday is in the great? park with George. I you, just got it. I is can't it great? Wait to, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure I can already tell it's great. <laughs> Someone buy it for me. Okay. I want to read it. Maybe that's a good Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, buy it for me for Christmas. Christmas I think is you're, coming. You're the host of a of a theater theater podcast. Maybe you need to contact their publicist and get an advanced copy. Yeah, that's what we should Send do. it to me and I'll review it. Promo oh, code man. theater theater. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, should also, uh, we should also shout out that uh, this was originally a, a co-production with South Coast Rep and the public. Yes. So yeah. South Coast Rep representing. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Um, I made a big mistake with this and I, I need to learn not to do this so much. I read the foreword to the the play in, uh-huh. in, and then read it, and so he's ta- like it, it went through a they they did a lot of work on it like it, it was wordy and he changed it he kept changing it kept changing it kept changing it, um, and so there was part of I first of all let me say I loved this play and as it went on it just sucked me in and in, mm-hmm. um, but I it felt ah uh, what's the word I'm looking for a little messy for lack of a better word hmm. like there was something there's such clarity in the structure too many notes too many notes <laughs> just cut a few and it'll be perfect <laughs> yeah but but the the structure of m butterfly and the structure of yellow face are so clear and so well done and this one gets a little muddled like i don't know if i needed the bookends for this like i didn't oh, know if i yeah. needed to see yeah i like that you liked the bookends? I didn't. I, did. I I was like, oh, I mean, I liked him trying to tie it up, but then I wanted more at the at the beginning and the end from what's the character? Andrew is the character's name, which is him, right? Mm-hmm. For lack of a better word. That being said, I'm I'm pulling threads here because I just it knocked me out. Like the commentary about modernity. And modernity in a country and with a um, a culture that, as he talks about, is obsessed with the past. It is obsessed with tradition, and to break. And now that, look at where we are in America. Well, true, true. <laughs> well, Half look of at the where country's th- obsessed with the past. Well, so uh, this look is really where, his. Um, this is his version of Buried Child, not to bring uh, Sam, Sam Shepard. It really, right? Like, <laughs> Very Buried Child. And I, lot. And, yeah, I agree. I really would love to see this play. Me too. Oh, me, I just yeah. kept reading it thinking, oh my gosh, I, I need to see this. I want to find a copy of this. Like I, I said, I have one. very little memory of seeing it. It's like, oh, I saw this play, but I don't remember any details about it. You know, I mean, yeah. I was on vacation you know up north and it was like we got tickets to a show it's like i'll go see a show you know and that's what it was but like i said it was almost 15 16 years ago 
Do you see it's kind of like the Asian version of Three Sisters as well? Do you see any of that? Oh, I didn't even kind of think of that. Oh, nice pull, nice pull. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can definitely see that. The the, the all three of those women are clear as a bell, and mm -hmm. he does it within two pages. Within two pages, you know exactly who each of these women are and what their dynamic is in terms of relating to one another. And I thought it was great use. I mean, the his use of brevity, like there's a lot that gets covered in this play and it never feels long. Right. Never. And something that I love about his writing that I noticed in this and in M. Butterfly as well is he has a way of describe like these are scenes from way back when and it's people talking about like customs and culture and everything but it is written in a modern day verbiage and dialogue that it's it makes it extra special because like i understand it and it's funny but also you're perfectly explaining who these women are where they stand in the household what they want and i just i love i just see so i feel like you're just watching him have a conversation with himself whenever you read his stuff it it's beautiful. It'd be a beautiful period film. I mean, 1918 oh, yeah. in China, um, oh, in man. China, you know, it's very Joy Luck Club with the flashbacks. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. This and, that. and I just love the idea that instead of demonizing Western Westernization, which is what people would expect, that um, it's more of like this exchange of ideas these these create opportunities for growth new ways of thinking and the release from such constraints as foot binding for one thing which mm. does not sound pleasant right. cj yeah. do you have any experience with foot binding uh yes my feet are bound no I, I i just i remember vaguely talking about it in some class in college and then like i i just looked it up and was looking at pictures and reading about the customs and stuff as i was reading this it's Play. Horrifying. It's horrifying. I loved the line, um, no one ever said that feminine beauty was pretty. <laughs> that was one of right. I wrote that down too. I was yeah. like, right. it's a great because quote. it's like the release of the release of the foot binding is actually more painful, you know, the, the muscles actually getting back oh, yes. I bet. To, yeah. to normal. Um and yeah, well, it's and even like, a great Go ahead. There's a great quote, uh, the first wife, Sue Young says you know, oh, this is when she's disapproving of the husband's, um, you know, talking with the uh, the the reverend, the missionary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the reverend. She says uh, the fact that something is new simply means it has not had time to disappoint us. I wrote that down, too. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, it's loaded. It's got some um, amazing quotes. I also thought there's a brilliant kind of twist. Fuck you by having the reverend speak in broken english loved it it's so cool and it's it's such a cool dramatic effect like yeah. um and kind of profound in 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 just in just in reading it and sort of absorbing you know what the audience would would have been dealing with as well yes i really enjoyed this uh this read and i think we have a lot that we can talk about in the next episode because yes, we tend to sort of get our first initial thoughts out on this play in this episode. And then in the next week, we will sort of like finalize it and then we can cover yellow face. Cause I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about that one as well. So do you guys want to have any final things you say on this week? Wait, we're be done? a whole other week until we talk about, Golden face again. Golden child. Sorry. Golden child. <laughs> yellow face. 
Well, I no, think I'll it. hold. I'll hold. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's. I haven't read all of his plays, but it feels the most realized to me, and probably it feels like it's his favorite play. It's certainly mm. the most golden child. Play. <laughs> it feels like the you most know. personal, even in comparison to Yellowface and, and and what he did to research. Power, it, you he's, know. he's he's a he's a well right. You know, Yellowface and Soft Power are very autobiographical, and and this as well. But it, it's it's not much so much about him, but his his ancestors, and it's such a beautiful homage to that culture and the, and the women in his life. I think he writes for women mm. so well and for just sure. um, so um, poignantly. Yeah, you're here. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, I I have so many things I want to say about it. I think I'm going to leave them all for next time because as I read them, I'm like, no, this is going to spark this conversation. This is mm-hmm. going to spark this conversation. Um, there's a lot of things that this reminded me of even outside of theater, like just movies and pop culture that just like is really ingrained in me um, by Disney and by like all these other things. So we'll get into it. I'm very excited about it. Is there anything we're supposed to do before we do the LA spotlight? I can't remember. I feel like I'm supposed to do something else. Nope. No, no, no. Your, your instincts are correct because normally, because we do all the our dream oh, that's rolls. Next episode. And yeah, we'll do all. dream rolls yeah, and rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, Production meeting. <laughs> we'll get into it. Um, okay, so hey, anyone got a uh... LA spotlight? LA spotlight. Anyone have an LA spotlight spotlight right now? My my only one is that we. Uh, Go listen to a musical theater podcast uh, with Jeffrey Parsons. Uh, it's super good. Uh, the Taboo episode will be out at some point. And go check out the new season that just got announced at Pasadena Playhouse. Ooh, Head Over Heels, wait. starring Alaska 5000, a.k.a. Alaska <gasps> Thunderfuck. Oh, my uh, God, I love Alaska. <laughs> and Leah Delaria from uh, Orange is the New Black. She played Boo on Orange is the New Black. Oh, my God. Awesome, awesome. The rest of the cast is George massive as well. George Salazar. George Salazar. Go look Chinese it up. Wilson. Tiffany Mann. Yes, okay. It's, it's <laughs> an amazing cast. Everyone go look it up. Uh, other stuff, go. Uh, yeah, um, artists at play um, are uh, have announced their play readings. Specifically, let's see here, uh, AAP's annual showcase works and development by AAPI writers uh, starts off soon. October 2nd, there is a play called Non by Noah Gardner. Uh, check that out. And then October 9th is another play, Non So Piu Gosa Son. And so check those things out. Also, we should do a shout out that uh, October is Filipino American History Month. Um, so, yeah. Um, and see, uh, Infinite Jest Theater is going to be doing John Lilly's Galathea is a queer love story set inside the landscape of classical myth. That's basically happening on uh, it's not basically happening. It is literally happening on October 16th and 17th. Check out InfiniteJustTheater.com uh, or check them out on uh, social media, Twitter uh, and all that stuff. But um, oh. And then we have The Love Ark. Uh, yes. Our friends uh, have a podcast called The Love Ark, written by Jonas Oppenheim, starring several people that we know. Including um, Leon Russom, who opened up one of our waiting for godot episodes uh yeah one of our samuel beckett yeah he did yeah pardon me yeah he did endgame he stars in it yeah and yeah leon russom is if you don't know who leon russom is look up imdb and go holy shit 
he was um he was in the original O Calcutta on Broadway. She naked. Ooh. Naked. naked. Like, yeah, naked. naked. Um, most people know him as the sheriff of Malibu in the Big Lebowski um, <laughs> and uh, the old man in the quiet place. But um, he's worked forever and ever, and he's brilliant. This is true. Thank you for joining us for part one of M. Potterfly, the works of David Henry Huang. Our next N stuff is not an N stuff at all, in fact. It's our uh season finale well join us next week for part two obviously but then after that our next end stuff uh is our season finale curtain call we did it for last season it was really fun and and, and we we rank all the playwrights from season two i think there's 12 of them mm-hmm. yes oh god it's it's been killing me softly i only yeah, know who I, number one is that's all i know i, I keep staring at the list and having no fucking idea I'm going to hate that episode. I already I, hate it. I think my <laughs> rankings of the playwrights are are on point and correct. And I've only, there's only a couple that I've gone back and forth about. It's the plays. It's the top 10 plays. I've asked yeah. y'all to choose your top 10 plays that we've covered. And I, it's like impossible because there are playwrights that aren't on my top 10 plays. Right. That are right. like really high up in my ranking. No, it's really screwy what's happening with me right now. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. It's really screwy. Yeah. I hate it so much. Um, It'll be great. And then we end the season with uh, with the Bard. This... That's we're right. Doing, so we're doing Shakespeare uh, tragedies this year. That's right. So we'll be headed into our interim break. So you can look forward to our bonus mini series covering Shakespeare's tragedies. Maybe we'll have Keela back for one of those as well, since Keela and I have directed tragedies together, both, <laughs> both uh, because they were tragedies, actually, because they were, <laughs> they were the plays were tragedies tragic. and also they were Shakespeare. We've had our times <laughs> um, and we'll be sprinkling in little and stuff bonus episodes every week until we pick back up in 2022. So uh, you'll still have some delicious theater theater for your brains, but it just won't be our normal format. Uh, and we'll announce a few of those uh, the playwrights that we'll be doing next season um, on the curtain call. See yeah. Questions, comments, do you have suggestions? Would you like to say hi? Would you like to tell us how great our podcast is? We would love to hear from you. Please email us. You can also reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, Scott? Thank you, CJ. Uh, we'd like to thank Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's true. Uh, Also, Ryan writes all of our stingers, and he's an amazing human being, and we love him. A big shout-out to Pamela Quinn for writing our uh, uh, DHH-centric song, which you're about to hear. It's going to be amazing. And finally, to the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Annie Baker for writing every single one of our episodes. She doesn't even know it, but uh, we thank you. And (laughs) one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. It's true. Are you a fan of Annie Baker, Keela? Yes, I saw Circle Mirror Transformation at Playwrights Horizons. And it oh, damn. Love it. I, I had tickets to the Antipodes before the pandemic, but it never happened. Because oh, no. It's not no. coming back. To no, the it's paper. not. It's not. Uh, Very sad. Yeah. Keela, thank you so much for yes, joining us. Yes, thank, thank you, you for sir. being it was here. It a pleasure. This has been so much fun, and I love talking about Asian-American playwrights because I really think... Um, you know, there's been kind of a resurgence of like intercultural dissonance. Yeah. Um, like in, you know, in American playwriting, new American playwriting since the 80s. And I think that's because it started with this Asian American playwright. Here, here. Yeah. Mm. 
I appreciate that. We love you, Keela. We're going to have you back next week. So everyone look forward to that. Uh, as always, please rate, subscribe, review. I meant to say it at the beginning, but I'm going to say it now, and then I'll say it at the beginning next week. Just, yeah. Just subscribe. Just subscribe and rate and review. Just just do just, – just, just, um, uh, Keela, are you aware that uh, mouths and butts are the same thing? <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, in case you didn't know mouths and butts are the same thing we appreciate you all we love you so much we'll see you next week goodbye a hole is just a hole is that what you meant yes <laughs> it's, a, it's a little more detailed than that but okay yeah. sunday in the blue silver chromium diner on the green purple yellow red stools Ooh. Sit the fools who should eat at home. Instead, they pay on Sunday. Did you write those lyrics? No, that's from Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah. Tick, Tick, Boom is basically Tick, Tick, Jonathan Boom. Larson's homage to Sondheim. Yeah. Yeah. So this is I his saw Sunday. That at the, the uh, with Raul Esparza, Amy Spanger. That was so long ago. Raleigh Sparza was in Taboo. Go listen to the Taboo episode. All right, bye. The way the light and shadow mix across my face You'll never know the truth The truth has been erased I shadow you I'll never tell the reason why I'm here Just close your eyes I'll lullaby protect you from your fears fears and ears just tell me everything your secret's safe with me I can't catch my I am the one you need your greatest fantasy Never see or understand the, the real reality. And so I'll guide you to my arms where you can always be.